0: Hi everybody, this is John Christensen. In today's episode of The Wealth Confidant, I'm talking with Whitney Johnson and I'm excited about having her on the show because Whitney just plain, flat out inspires people with her sage advice and her wisdom. To top all that off, she has fresh thinking about business and life that weaves in her own experience and her own change and transformation A unique and powerful combination, and that's what I really love about her and about reading her material, hearing her speak, and all the things she's involved in. In fact, her wisdom is aligned nicely with my own life trajectory and my passion for evolving as a person, being in pursuit of a richer life, and disrupting myself over the years. In the book I'm writing right now, I discuss this transformation and starting Highland after experiencing personal health and anxiety issues and how that journey and calling has expanded into the past several years into coaching, podcasting, speaking about the intersection of money and life, and specifically experiencing life fully lived, something that I want for myself but also want for the people that I come in contact with. I really think this will be an episode that you'll enjoy. I hope that you have a chance to listen in. I'm super pumped to introduce today's guest, Whitney Johnson. Whitney and I first met each other several years ago through social media. At that time, she had published her very first book. It was called Dare, Dream, Do, and she was, I believe, working on her second book at that time, Disrupt Yourself. We've since had the pleasure of getting together in person and supporting each other in our respective endeavors, and I'm happy to share that today we'll be discussing Whitney's third book, Build an A-Team. Through writing, speaking, consulting, and coaching, Whitney works with leaders to retain their top talent, to build an A-team, and to help people become the boss that people love. She has mentored and coached me on an important business transition issue several years ago, so I am a card-carrying advocate for Whitney Johnson and her skill and talent. She formerly was the co-founder of the Disruptive Innovation Fund with Harvard's Clayton Christensen, She's also formerly an award-winning Wall Street analyst, and in 2017, Whitney was named one of the world's 50 Most Influential Management Thinkers by Thinkers50. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. to have you, Whitney. Thanks for joining me. I want to really, first and foremost, hear about your new book, Build an A-Team, and it's just, it's super cool. So I want to hear about it.
1: Yeah. So after I wrote my last book, Disrupt Yourself, which was about how do you know when it's time to make a change? And then once you make that change, how do you do it successfully? Then people kept saying to me, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. But then how do I actually get my boss to let me disrupt myself? And how do I create a workforce or an ecosystem in the workplace where people can disrupt? And so I was like, you know, that's a really good question. Because oftentimes they would say to me as well, okay, well, I'm not going to let my company read that book because everybody's going to leave. And I was like, no, you're missing the point. The point is, is that if you will let people disrupt themselves, these repeated personal disruptions, they'll be learning and therefore they'll be more engaged and they'll be happier and therefore you're going to ship more product and they won't leave. And so that was really the rationale behind this book is how do I persuade corporations that if they will let their people disrupt themselves, their people are going to be happier and their business is going to be more more profitable. And so that was the rationale behind the book.
0: Is that the twist on being the boss that people love? Because who doesn't want to be the boss that people love, right? I want to be the boss that people love.
1: You know, as a, as a founder CEO, you almost always are very charismatic at some level in terms of having this vision. And so people buy into that vision. They're like, I love this vision. And I want to work for you. And I believe that I'm going to be able to bring my dreams to work. And then what happens is that they buy into it. And then you've got product to ship and you've got deadlines and you've got margin targets that you've got to meet. And all of a sudden that boss that you wanted to be, you're not that boss anymore because you need people doing what they've done, where they've done it, or oh, in the past, because otherwise you're not going to be able to meet your margins. And so you basically end up with this innovator's dilemma, but with people. Mm-hmm. And so this book is trying to solve that problem. And if you will let your people jump, they're going to love working for you because they're going to be happy.
0: Yeah. What do you what do you think the key takeaway is for the book? For, what do you want people to learn from it?
1: There are different things you can learn. Uh, one is I want you to learn how to be a boss that people want to work for. I want you to learn how to be a talent magnet. I want you to learn how to retain talent. I want you to learn how to avoid being disrupted because if your workforce is engaged, then they're going to be productive and they're going to figure out how to manage through change and people who are engaged, they don't get disrupted, they disrupt. And so those are the things I want you to learn. Be a great boss and how to build a team that can manage through change.
0: And I love the concept you talk about in the book, learning, leaping, repeating. Why is that S-curve concept or or is it the S-curve concept? I'm not sure. Maybe tell us. But what is it about those steps that are so important for people to know?
1: Well, every person is on a learning curve, including you, and the way you can think about it is picture this S, and at the bottom of the S, you're going to work a lot, really hard, and it feels like nothing's happening, and you can get really discouraged, and you have to put this jumble like a jigsaw puzzle of pieces together. So you're there at the beginning, and the bad news is is that you're slow at what you're doing, but the good news is, is that because you don't know how things are done around here, you start to ask questions like, why do we do it like this? And so that opens the door to innovation. And so then as you move into the sweet spot or the back of that S, what happens there is you know enough, but not too much. So this is the sweet spot where all your neurons are firing, you're having a lot of fun with your work. And if you as a boss are willing to throw stretch assignments at this person, they're going to be innovated because in the stretching, they're trying to Figure out how to get themselves out of the box that you put them into. They're also going to be innovating for your organization. And again, because they're learning, they're engaged, they're happy, they're shipping product. And then you get to the top of the curve. And this is typically after you've been in a role for three to four years. Usually you can only stay on one learning curve for about four years. Once you get there, you know exactly what you're doing. Things are very easy but your brain is no longer learning. And because your brain isn't learning, you're bored. And when you get bored, you either leave or you check out and you stay. And so this idea of learn, leap, repeat is you need to be at the bottom, you learn. And once you get to the top, you leap, and then you repeat that over and over again. And if you will do that, in this cycle, you are going to stay engaged and your company is going to be able to remain innovative because every single person in your organization's on a learning curve optimize that and you've got a winning formula. So
0: as you and I have discussed in the past, I have been disrupting my own life. I'm shifting from kind of wealth management into kind of this new space. I'm evolving who I am and taking steps to get into book writing and doing some of the things that are more at the intersection of life and money, which is different than wealth management aligned. But you've also been disrupting your life. And I'm just curious, how is that going for you in your own disruption right now?
1: It's really fun. I I would say, yeah, so five years ago, I was at the top of a curve. I was working with Clayton Christensen. We were investing in securities, early stage companies, as well as publicly traded securities, looking for companies that we thought were disruptive. And as you alluded to, I had this this idea that this whole framework of disruption that we were applying to products actually applied to people, and I wanted to chase that down. And so I've figured out this framework of personal disruption. I guess the question to you is, how is it going? I would say I was at the low end of the learning curve for longer than six months or a year, that is for sure, which is what makes it kind of fun in that I would say I'm starting to move into the sweet spot in terms of knowing how to deliver a good speech or a good keynote or be able to facilitate a workshop. I'm starting to move into the sweet spot in terms of my ability to be able to coach a CEO or a C-suite executive. I would say I'm a little bit past the low end of the sweet spot in terms of being able to write a book. So overall, I've got this portfolio of things that I'm doing. I certainly don't feel like I'm at the top of the curve in any area. Another place that I'm at the low end, not in the sweet spot, is trying to build a business. Right now I've got a number of 1099 employees, but what does that look like as you really start to try to scale? And so I'm in the process of, of figuring out how to do that. And it's a really interesting, exciting, challenging, discouraging, and all of the above process.
0: So it's not as if you have one S curve that's going on. At, it sounds like you've got a bunch of them going on at the same time.
1: Yeah. You know, if you think about just taking a career in general, your career is an S curve, right? You come out of college, you're at the low end. And then at the end of your career, when you retire, you're at the high end. So that's one S curve. Every time you take on a new job, you're on a different S curve. Every time you take on a new role, you're on an S curve. I would say for someone like you or me, where we're a business owner, we've got an S curve there. But To the extent that that there's a portfolio of activities involved, whether it's speaking and writing and podcasting, et cetera, those all have their own S curve. So I've got all these little curves that extend out the bigger curve, which is trying to build out the IP around personal disruption and helping organizations really affect change, understanding that it's not their company that's doing it, it's the individual. And so how do I help you do that? And being able to figure that and iterate on that, it's fascinating. And so it keeps on extending out this current curve I'm on.
0: Well it's it's interesting to think about these kind of these micro curves yeah. that might be speaking, podcasting, as I'm envisioning it for myself with my own podcast and where am I on that curve relative to the Uber macro curve that is my life and my career. And, and that's really interesting. I, I hadn't thought about it that way when I read your book, but that's really an interesting idea. On the risk side of things, so when I get to, or you get to the top of the S-curve, as I understand it, there's this leaping thing that happens. So yes, we were talking about earlier about books and jumping into who you really are or whatever that is, jumping to the new space. What causes you or gives you the confidence or anybody, the confidence to make that jump? Because it's one thing kind of intellectually to go, I, I can jump. Uh, sure, that makes intellectual sense. But actually jumping, <laughs> that's risky. And I think we're all, or I am, you know, we kind of avoid risk. I, I, I try and keep risk out of people's portfolios. I, I mean, it's all about keep risk at bay. Don't step into mm-hmm. risk. So h- how do you help people get over that hump?
1: A couple of thoughts there. First of all, you know, on on the one hand, we're risk averse. But on the other hand, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, there's all these little loopholes that force us to be risk seeking, because we know like if you in my last book and disrupt yourself, I talk about guppies and how, you know, the fortune favors the brave, the fortune favors the guppy who's willing to wander away from that safe place. And so there is, while on the one hand, we don't like risk, on the other hand, there's something that actually Certainly, nature rewards us for taking that risk. Now, what I would say, once you get to the top of a learning curve, a couple of things can happen. First of all, you can get better at jumping. I mean, disrupting yourself is a skill that you can develop like any other skill. It's fascinating to me, in fact, when I look at the history of my podcast, I have this outsized proportion of people who are immigrants that I interview. And I didn't realize that until like I'm forty episodes in, and I'm like, well, what is that about? And then I realized, well, of course that makes sense. If you're an immigrant, you've been disrupted or you know how to disrupt. It's a skill set mm-hmm. you've developed, and so you can continue to disrupt. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a skill that you can develop. so, to the extent that you get to the top of your curve and you're like, I'm terrified. If you look back at other areas of your life where you chose to jump, then then that can be helpful. Another thing I would say is sometimes you get to the top of the curve and you won't jump and you get pushed. And so that certainly happens. I, I would argue that oftentimes people get laid off or fired because that's exactly what was at play. Hmm. They knew they needed to jump. They knew they did and they wouldn't go. And so the universe kick,
0: gives them a kick them up, kicking them to the next curve.
1: It kicked, him, it kicked him off. The third thing I would say for if you're still not persuaded is once you get to that top of that curve and you're like, I know I need to jump, but I don't want to. What you can do is look at behavior psychology because we tend to think, well, I'm going to look at all the good things that will happen to me if I jump to a curve. But the reality is, is we are a lot more motivated. And you know this from your work as in finance. We're a lot more motivated by what we might lose than what we might gain. Mm -hmm. And so what you do is you tell yourself, "Okay, well, I can jump and there are all these exciting things that will happen. But really what I need to tell myself is here are all the bad things that are going to happen to me if I don't jump. Got it. And there are a lot of bad things because there's no such thing as standing still.
0: Well, and I think in my own life and in yours, I think about if I hadn't jumped, if I look back and think of all the things I hadn't done and hadn't stepped into, even the book stuff we were talking about earlier, it's scary to jump. And and I think it's just intellectually interesting to think about how hard it is to actually do what you believe is good for you or is interesting to you, or you know, at some core level, I need to make a change, but that's going to be hard. And And to I think, and sometimes, you know, life moves on. And if we wait for companies to kick us out or for life experiences to move us off of a curve, how much time we missed, how much time we could have been on a different curve. I mean, are you seeing that in the work you're doing? And I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could... You know, it's fascinating as I'm, as I'm going into organizations and I've got this diagnostic called the S curve locator where you can see where you are in your learning curve. And it's fascinating to see how many people are, you know, at the top of their curve and they've been there for three and four and five years. And they, they try to tell themselves that they're not really at the top of the curve, but they are. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time to waste. It's mm-hmm. a lot of time. And so I'll give you an example because I think this will be helpful. I remember a few years ago, I had done a webinar webcast and it wasn't very good. And I got offline and I was telling my husband and he's like, you're delusional. I mean, he didn't say it like that because he's really nice. But (laughs) he's like, he's like, you tell yourself, oh, I'm going to give this good webcast. He said, all you have to do to get yourself to do a good job is remind yourself, I'm going to feel so bad. And I'm going to be so embarrassed if I don't do a good job, I better prepare. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing is if you get to the top of the curve and you're feeling scared, just start telling yourselves, here are all the bad things that are going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds super melodramatic, but if it gets you to jump and it gives you another two to three years of development in your life back, then scare yourself a little bit.
0: Where do you think money plays into S curves? And it may not be an area you've thought about, you know, ahead of our call. I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm in the money business effectively. and, And this disrupting curve is tied to how people produce their income and their livelihood. But what I see happening sometimes is that can you connect this S curve to finding a life of true wealth? a life of meaning and purpose to your calling, how does it play out with money and have you thought about that? Mm,
1: Well, let's riff on this a little bit. What I would say, first thought I'm having is that I remember a few years ago, I had this fellow say to me, I'm at the top of my learning curve and I'm not jumping. And I was like, okay. And he said, and I have 10 years worth of savings in the bank and I'm not jumping. Mm -hmm. so the first thought that i have is that sometimes people will say i can't jump because of money Mm -hmm. and i think it's just not true i think money is the stated reason but if you start to do the five whys why 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 Mm why the real reason they're not jumping is something very different Mm -hmm. so that's my first thought now having said that why don't you kind of Come back at me and let's explore this a little bit more because I think you have something in your brain around it.
0: I I sort of see money accelerating the S curve, hmm. as a as a concept, and I'm curious what you think of that because what will happen is, let's say I'm in the middle of the S curve and now all of a yep. sudden I create wealth, and it ties to some of what you talk about in the book around constraints, money and time constraints. As I'm reading your book, I was kind of going. I see people who all of a sudden are pursuing wealth, they may or may not be at the top of the curve, but money will all of a sudden accelerate them to the top of the curve because now they've got new choices and they can now start to say, I don't want to work at this place anymore, let alone do I want to work. Now I can kind of it opens up my framework to create. S-curves for my life, maybe not in my career, I would say, a little differently.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So as you're saying, I cut you off because I got so excited. You know, the image that came to my mind is, okay. I'm on one S-curve and I'm doing this role and I've got certain constraints at play, food on the table, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So when that constraint goes away, then the question becomes, Do I love this enough that I want to keep doing whatever it is I'm doing? But in many instances, what it does is it puts you on a whole different curve. And so then you've got to decide what that curve is going to look like, knowing that whereas in the past you had money as a constraint, now it's not a constraint in the same way it was. The question for you becomes is. You know you need constraints to climb a curve. It's a law of physics. You need friction. So what constraints, now that you're on this new curve where money's kind of not at play in the same way that it was, what constraints are you going to impose so that this new curve you're on, whatever you choose, you're able to actually climb it successfully? That's how I would think about it.
0: Well, and that's exactly what I see happens, is that now I've got success, money, whatever I define that as, and now... Uh, anything's possible, let's say. But when anything's possible, nothing's possible. And so now I've lost the friction, as you mentioned, of the constraint. And so now I've got what I, if only I had money. You said that at the beginning. If only I had money, I would do X, Y, or Z. Well, now I do. And so how do I reimpose a constraint that allows me to maybe take that S-curve and apply it to my life? in a way that says, I am going to move my life towards something that matters. And it might be Mm career-wise, and it might be a whole different s curve. I I don't know.
1: So, okay. So what I think is interesting is that we all have this paradigm from which we operate. And so I think about, for example, in my family, it's never a question of, will you go to high school? Will you go to college? It's just what we do. Mm -hmm. In a family that already has a lot of wealth, it's not a question of, Will we have money or won't we? It's just what we do. Mm -hmm. And so then the question becomes for a person in that situation is you've got to adjust yourself to say now money. It's just it's just who we are. Mm -hmm. But you still have to find constraints. And that requires and I think this goes to the work that you're trying to do. That requires a lot of inner work because you now your paradigm has to change.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: It has to change otherwise because you're like, if I have money, well, now that you have money, if your paradigm doesn't change, you will make sure that you don't have money again yeah. because otherwise you don't know how to operate and function within the world. And I think this is probably why you ended up doing the work that you're doing is how do you get people to change their paradigm so that they can operate and function going forward.
0: Well, and that's where I took this idea of the life portfolio, which includes our career. So there's the S-curve in my career, but there's also my financial and my relationships and my spirituality and my health. All those things in my portfolio that I want to be robustly diversified in the way that I, as I refer to them as living fully. What I'm intrigued with is, how do we get to know ourselves enough? And that's kind of that spirituality button mm-hmm. that that I'm intrigued with and, and not from a religious standpoint, from more from a who are we at, at the core essence. And if we don't know that about ourselves or we're not willing, and that takes a whole other level of courage and risk, is that I'm going to go get to know myself so that I know when I'm at the top of the curve or where I am. So there's kind of a, I'm curious what this what your sense of spirituality is related to the S curve, and I know you mentioned it a little bit in your book, but I'm I'm curious how you see that.
1: Yeah. So I, what's probably a little bit difficult for me to actually answer this question is because it is so a priori for me. You know, the question becomes is what is your purpose in life? Mm-hmm. Why do you wake up every morning? Mm-hmm. What do you believe about the universe? Why it matters? Why you're here? What you're trying to do? And so I think where this gets really complicated is if you believed before you came into wealth that you were here to do certain things, a certain amount of good on earth, whatever resources are available to you, money being one of them, but you have many resources available to you, having the money gives you just another resource. If prior to that, your raison d'etre was to make money Uh and now you've made money now you don't have a purpose. Uh-huh. And so I think this is the challenge. And so what I would say is figure out what your raison d'etre is now before you have money. If you don't, if you haven't figured it out, then you've got to figure it out. But without that purpose, and, and when I say purpose, meaning why do you get up in the morning when you access existential question, it is it that you are trying to get done on this earth, on this planet at a very fundamental level? You have to be able to answer that question.
0: And does the disruption curve lead you that way naturally? Because if I'm moving myself towards things that are challenging me, risking me, is it drawing me to calling without exploring yes, my is. spirituality?
1: It, to, it, to that. it is.
0: Do you, do you follow yeah. that?
1: Yeah, I do. Because what, what you're doing is every time you're disrupting yourself, you're iterating on you. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. with a disruptor, with disruption, personal disruption, you've got the, the low end disruptor and you've got the incumbent. And with a product and service, they're two separate entities. But with personal disruption, you're the upstart and you're the incumbent and you're disrupting yourself. And so every time you disrupt yourself, and you change, and you iterate on who you are, you not necessarily because it can get worse. But for me, the underlying assumption is that it gets better, you are evolving in a positive way. So so yes, this framework can help accelerate that process.
0: And what about benchmarks? How do you apply benchmarks in your own life so you know where you are on the curve? I know you've got an assessment, which maybe you could tell people where to go find because that would be helpful. But how do you apply benchmarks in your own life to know where you are or to evaluate where you are in your life as it relates to this work you're doing in disruption?
1: Yeah. So you can go to my website, WhitneyJohnson.com forward slash diagnostic. And you can take the S-curve locator, which will tell you in your current role what you're doing, where you are on that learning curve. Some shorthand ways of figuring that that out from a time perspective is usually if you've been doing something for six months to a year, you're going to be at the low end of the curve. Mm -hmm. If you've been doing something for a year to three years, you're going to be in the sweet spot. If you've been doing something for four years or more, you're going to be at the high end. That can get compressed. Mm -hmm. If you're working 80 hours a week, it's going to get compressed. Mm -hmm. If you are extremely mindful and meditative and there's lots of other things happening, like you've gotten a new boss or you're doing new configurations of projects or you just really love what you're doing, that can get expanded. But that's a good shorthand version in terms of time, low end is going to be characterized by you don't know what you're doing, you might be a little bit discouraged. Sweet spot is you feel like you know enough, but not too much. You're really having a lot of fun. And then the high end is going to be characterized by you're feeling a little bored, like, yeah, not so excited. I'm not really so excited to be at work today. I say things like I've paid my dues. Those are all sort of indicators that you're actually at the high end of your curve.
0: Do you find those things apply to you, too, in your own life, that when you're at that place where you're going, I'm kind of bored with doing that, that you find yourself innovating and jumping to something new? Are those the same benchmarks you're using in your own life? Yeah,
1: in life. Now, here's the challenge. And what I think is interesting is this applies to your work, right, and your learning. But what do you do about something like marriage?
0: Mm -hmm. That's a little trickier. You could, trickier, right? you could jump to a new risk. You could jump to a new risk. You could. Yeah.
1: You could, and people do. Mm-hmm. I think that this, again, goes back to sort of what are your underlying fundamental beliefs. And mm-hmm. this is where something like meditation and mindfulness comes in and figuring out how to make it interesting and figuring out how to learn within that constraint of that decision to be committed to an individual and be committed to to children. And so this applies to careers and learning and things that you're trying to figure out how to do. It doesn't apply to relationships.
0: Yeah. Or it might take you to a place where you are going to go more inward and and learn about yourself, maybe grow your own awareness and and heal from some areas that might in effect improve your relationship uh, Mm -hmm. in some ways. But it, it is a little bit of a different journey. I see that too. So, Curious to know uh, what you might answer to this question, which is what does living fully mean to you at this stage of your life right now?
1: I would say the way I would define it right now is, am I showing up? What do I mean by that? I would say, first of all, you know, when I know that I've got to speak or write or do something, have I prepared for it? So that's one aspect of it. Another aspect of living fully would be so for example, I do volunteer work at my church. And tonight, I've got to go over to the church and be with about, I don't know, 20 or 30 girls from the ages of 12 to 18. I would rather stay at home and be at work. And so living fully will be to be fully present with those girls while I am there living fully for me is also really continuing to expand myself figuring out like the other day I'll give you a great example I was in a hotel and the toilet started to do you know you know how it doesn't turn off it just Mm, the water just keeps running and I was like "Hmm, my husband's not around to fix this for me and I could call someone for maintenance I was like you know what I'm gonna go on YouTube and see if I can figure out how to turn off the water and then I'll call someone for maintenance. Maintenance. And so that to me is living fully is to be willing to say, you know, I don't know how to do this. And historically, this is how I would have handled this. But why don't I do it a little bit differently and see if I can be DIY for even five seconds. Mm-hmm. And that to me is living fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so showing up to all the things that matter to me, whether it's work or my relationships, and continuing to just be willing to, to, like I said, disrupt myself to walk my talk and to make sure that I am being true to what I say and being true to what I believe. Isn't
0: that interesting that it, it, you really lose. And I would say this for myself too. I, I talk about living fully a lot. And if I'm not living fully, how can I talk to anybody else about it? And for you too, it's like if I'm not living disruption and I'm not communicating disruption to other people and sharing my own story of disruption, I, you lose credibility and and you are so willing to share Uh, in a lot of different places, what goes on in your life and how you think about that and how you're pushing yourself. And I just think that inspires people and inspires me. I know that. So Mm. I appreciate you doing that.
1: Mm, Thank you. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I remember my mother telling me many years ago, so my mother was very involved, did a lot of training. And I think she would call it the human potential movement. And she said to me once, you know, there's a lot of people who talk about a lot of this kind of stuff. And she said, always make sure you're living it. And I really took that to heart is that you can? it's one thing to talk about it and it's another thing to live it. And even though sometimes people won't know, you'll know. And so thank you. My mother would be happy to hear you (laughs) give me that compliment.
0: Well, it's true. So what's next for Whitney?
1: What's next for me? I'm still really in the throes of, of launching this book. I would say what is next, though, is I need to build out some type of course around these ideas. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I need to build that out because if really, truly, and I do believe this is the fundamental unit of disruption is the individual. I've got to figure out a way to have a course that even though you're inside of organizations trying to effect change, I need to have something or a tool that the individuals within that organization can use to make that change happen.
0: That's cool. Very cool. Looking forward to hearing more about that. And if people want to find out about the course, want to find out more about your books, of course, pre-order your book. I've read it. I just, I was on a plane flight to California and I just, boom, read, read through it, the flight down and back. So it's great. It's tons of stuff. Matter of fact, I'm giving it to my operations guy, as we're going through a bunch of hiring right now. So it's a very good read. But if people want more about you and coaching and all the other stuff you do, because you're all over them, you do all kinds of stuff. So wh- how, how do they find out about you?
1: Yeah, I think the easiest way is just to go to WhitneyJohnson.com to my website. Okay. And you can always email me at WJ at WhitneyJohnson.com. But if you want to okay. take the diagnostic, it's WhitneyJohnson.com forward slash diagnostic. It's probably the easiest.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the end of July at the Marshall Goldsmith book event that you're doing. That'll be really fun. And I'm excited to see you there. And don't know if you and I will cross paths before that, but I I sure appreciate you spending some time with us and telling us about your your concepts, about your philosophies, and about how that applies to our careers, but really more importantly, our life. (laughs) And and I just think that was super meaningful and just very much appreciate you taking the time to do it.
1: Well, thank you, John. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning into my conversation with Whitney. My hope is that you'll be conscious of the S curve that you're on in business and in life and take the time to be self-aware enough to know when it's time for a shift up the curve or to a new curve and how your money and your wealth can amplify and even accelerate those changes in life and the changes that may need to occur in your life. Thanks for tuning in today, and I hope in every facet of your life portfolio, you're experiencing life fully lived. Take care. Confidant is produced by Jessica Fox and Anna Olivia McLean. Music is by Royal Deluxe.